Let's get into the Word of God. Luke chapter 5, starting with verse 12, please. While he was in one of the cities, this is Jesus, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What did Jesus say there? Well, I don't know. I have to think about it. What did he say there? You got your Bible, right? What did he say there? What did he say? Now, I mentioned this, I think, at the, the Victor Outreach Service or whatever, but I'm going to say this again. God says yes and amen to his promises. So don't you, in my presence, start talking all that mumbo-jumbo because you're justifying a lack of faith in your own life. Your lack of faith is not what determines what God says. God says, I am willing. God said, I am. Shout it. Shout it. I am willing. You need to hear yourself say it out loud. I am what? You know what's interesting? You, know, you guys go to, the football games in this region are pretty loud and boisterous. But people are not loud and boisterous in church. You know what? I'm asking you to say something God says. You guys talk louder in the foyer than you do inside the house of God. That's true about you. Haven't you wondered why that is? Has anybody noticed that at all? Or am I the only person who noticed it? You know, there's got to be some reason why that is. See, you know what I'm telling you? When we get out there, it should, we should be loud being secular. We should be loud being godly. Okay, when I finished and I left this building after the second service that I did, when I left the service, I got interrupted by my son who called me, my son Luke, okay? My son Luke has got a prophetic anointing on him, and I'd like you to be praying for my son Luke. He's got a prophetic anointing. He called me because he was all hot under the collar because yesterday he went through our beloved Denver. He goes walking through Denver, downtown. Yeah, he had some friends and some other people he was kind of walking with. He goes, Dad, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah because, you know, here in, in Colorado and Denver, they've approved weed. They've approved, I mean, everything ungodly they've approved of and people are flaunting it. And of course, because Christians being what they are, and I'm using the term loosely in America, I mean, Christians who don't understand just because a government says something is legal does not mean that it's godly and moral. I don't care what anybody says is legal. But in Colorado, you got to pray for us in Colorado. All right, I'm, I'm rarely there because I'm traveling all over the place. But you got to pray for us in Colorado because there are Christians on, on, on I mean, he's having these web debates with people. He was calling me after he just finished some like this web debate with a whole bunch of people who are supposedly Christians in Colorado saying, look, even the government recognizes it's of God. And so therefore we should be able to get high. He wasn't arguing with unbelievers. He was arguing with Christians. These are, my son is 23. And he said, Dad, I don't care if anybody wants to hear it or not. I'm going to stand for righteousness and for the sake of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody shout amen. The time has come for us to stand up and let our voice be heard. Now listen to me. Everybody look at me. I want to say this. What Jesus says he's willing to do, he's willing to do. End of discussion. And you need to be willing to open up your mouth and speak it. Look, I realize the more our country dissolves into ungodliness, which it is, that our voice seems to be getting weaker and weaker. But it, our voice is not getting weaker because the ungodly are being ungodly. Our voice is getting weaker because we've lost connection with God. There's not a single one of you in this room who has put your hand in a fire and ever done this. Oh, Lord, my hand do doth burn verily right now. That's not what you do, is it? What do you do when you put your hand in a fire? You go, why, yeah, 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 yeah. You start acting a lot more like me. Come on, somebody shout amen. You know, the fact is, 
is that when you put your hand in a fire, something happens inside of you. Well, I got a fire burning inside of me. Jesus, fill me. He's like he put a jalapeno in my soul. Somebody shout amen. amen. You know, the fact is, I'm so, listen, people are not getting closer to Jesus because you're quiet and trying to act nice. Let them see the light in my actions. The only problem is your Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, and pagan neighbors are showing that same kind of niceness and light. The difference is your overwhelming zeal in the things of Jesus Christ. It's proclaiming a message. It's not just living the life, but also talking the talk. Somebody shout amen. Wow, this is good stuff. Now listen, it says, I am willing, Jesus said, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Underline verse 16 in your Bible, you should. Verse 17, one day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And, he, and men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of him. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through, a, through the tiles with his stretcher in the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the, uh, the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Come on, somebody shout yay. yay. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, and this is one of the great understatements of the Bible, we have seen remarkable things today. You know what, guys? When we're in the presence of God, shouldn't we be saying the same thing? Shouldn't we be saying, man, we've seen remarkable things today. What awesome stuff. If Jesus is in the house, we should say it. And by the way, if he's in your house, and I'm talking about physically, your home that you live in, if he's in your house, you should be saying that about him doing things in your house as well. You know what, man, wherever Jesus is. Now, I want you to see something because there's something that's been burning inside of me. We've had a weekend talking about the Holy Spirit. And with the Spirit of God comes persecution. Everyone say persecution. You know, your Bible says, if you ever look at the book of Hosea, you look at Hosea, and Hosea tells us that it's time to break up the fallow ground and seek the Lord. And in that, you realize that, you know, you, you get, if you get a fallow ground, a fallow ground is a field that used to bear fruit for God. Fallow means it used to be productive and now it has ceased to be productive. And really, you begin to realize that God's not talking about fields. He's talking about people. He's talking about our hearts. He's talking about his people and what tends to happen in your heart. You know, you get so familiar with the things of God. You know, you work around the house of God. There's labor to be done. There's setting up. There's tearing down. There's taking care of things and all the rest. And pretty soon you assume that the things that you do for the building are your sacrifice and service of faith to God. And all of a sudden you realize, no, it's not. And the years go by and you say, who have I won to Jesus? And you can't point to a single person. 
But you justify it. You know, you look in the mirror and you justify it. You say, yeah, but you know what? I, I make sure I have the lights on and all the rest and people are going to come to know Christ in my church because I take care of those things. But the problem is, all of a sudden you realize nobody's getting saved at church either. I mean, maybe there are some Christians there and then you justify that and say, well, yeah, but these people, they're Christians coming and they're sitting in the pew and they're doing okay. And, and that's what matters after all. I mean, this is the house of God, so that's for godly people. And somewhere along the lines, you forget your Savior came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you lose everything. And what you realize is, like a fallow field, you're drinking in the rain of heaven, but not returning any profit for it. In other words, a fallow field drinks in the rain of heaven, but it doesn't produce anything because it's just lying there fallow. And see, what happens is you lose sight of what it's all about. You say, why are you sharing this in relationship to what you read? I'll tell you. I mean, look at the life of Jesus. Jesus was continually walking and his life and his steps touched people. And he lives inside of us. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine that uh, many of us for the last six months, you know, we went through the holiday season. Six months takes us, you know, into Christmas time. And yet we went through all that season. We went through Easter. It was just last week, for goodness sake. You know, we went through all these things. And you know what? A lot of times we are asking other believers to come to our church services, but how many people have we actually challenged to invite them to come to know Christ? And isn't it amazing that we want to, we always say, I want to hear the voice of God. Because doesn't the Bible say that my sheep know my voice? So if we don't know his voice, what does that say about us being a sheep? It's very bad. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to go there. Sorry. But anyway, I mean, the bottom line is, is like, that's a bad thing, right? If I don't know his voice. But how can, we, how can we ever hear his voice? Because how many times do we walk by crowds of people and never once do we ever hear Jesus tell us individually, go up to that person and tell them about me, that they need to be saved. Would that actually ever be true? Can you imagine that the God who came to save lost people would never tell you once to open your mouth to somebody who is lost even in the last six months, that he would delight in seeing them unwarned about their eternal destination, that he would delight in seeing them go to an everlasting hell that he does not want them to go to? Is that even possible that that would be so? No, of course not. You know, the fact is, you say, well, I didn't hear him say that. Well, he did speak it. It's just you didn't want to hear it. God's voice and how loud his voice is is dependent on how you respond to it. The more you respond to what God says, the more God's voice gets louder to you. The more you're resistant to what God says, the more his voice becomes more and more quiet. You know, we're experts at complaining. We like to cover ourselves by complaining about the problems in society. And the more right we are, the more people realize we're not basically doing what Jesus has asked us to do. I mean, after all, there's a lot of coin in just complaining about, well, there's ungodliness out there and Christians aren't doing what they should do. Well, those are certainly true. But the bottom line is, what does that say about what you're supposed to be doing for the things of the kingdom of God? You know what's really weird? Can I just be real personal? I mean, I, I'm a real talkative guy, as you figured out. And you know what? For me, to be quiet exercises a lot of energy. You know, people are telling me, you know, you've preached. This is like my seventh time preaching this weekend in the last three days. And, and, um, and that covers a lot of hours. You know, well... You know, people are looking at me like, aren't you tired now? I'm, I know a lot of people are like, did you nap this afternoon? No, I didn't have time to nap. I don't nap. I mean, it's kind of a weird thing. I mean, that should scare everybody here. But, but the thing is, is that and people wonder, well, 
you know, I mean, uh, isn't it exhausting to keep talking? No. I mean, to me, this is my native state, <laughs> all right? Talking to people, sharing with people, you know, doing things for people, witnessing to people. I had a good time witnessing to two people previous to my coming here tonight. I mean, so, so I mean, that's just kind of my thing. What is an exercise for me is being quiet. Whereas for you, it's like, oh, peace and quiet. To me, that drives me crazy. All right, peace and quiet drives me. The first time I ever did a retreat, oh my goodness, it was amazing to me. I mean, I'm like, where's the sounds? I was hearing like frogs and hearing crickets and hearing all these other things. And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious, what are these sounds? I mean, it was driving me nuts, okay? I mean, it was really hard for me to handle all that stuff, right? So, so I mean, it's hard for me. So when the, you know, look, you don't know what it's like. My wife and I periodically, we read the Bible out loud to each other. Okay, you know, we'll sit on a couch or whatever, lay down in, in bed. And, you know, periodically we go through seasons where we read it out loud. Well, this one season, we were reading the book of Revelation out loud to each other. And Carol read that portion of the scripture that said, and there were 30 minutes, the seal was open, there were 30 minutes of silence in heaven. And my wife stopped reading, looked at me, and she said, honey, you're not going to be there. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, she's actually never heard me quiet <laughs> for that long. I mean, I, I talk in my sleep, for goodness sake, right? So for me to be quiet is a challenge. So to wait on God is a discipline for me. So when people preach and say, you, learn, you need to learn to quiet yourself in the presence of the Lord, I embrace that. So why don't you embrace opening up your voice and talking more to others? Why is it that we're all excusing each other? Well, you know what? It's not my job. It's not my job to do that. That's what we pay our pastor for. You, I mean, our lots of pastors are like, it's the people's job. Everybody's passing the buck everywhere. Why don't we all be disciples of Jesus Christ and obey the God that tells us to do stuff? Jesus is walking by and he sees a leper who's unclean. The leper walks up to him and says, hey, if you're willing, you can heal me. Now, here's the dilemma you have. And I'm talking about you meaning us as people. I'm including myself. Here's the dilemma we have. Our dilemma is the same Jesus supposedly lives in you. Does Jesus live in you, yes or no? If he lives in you, there are people who are wanting to come up to that Jesus and say, if you're willing, you can make me clean or heal me. My question to you is, what are you going to say? No. What are you going to say? You know, the, you could say he is willing but that becomes a message. I'm saying, somebody's asking you, hey, listen, you know, do you think you could pray for me right now? Or, I mean, I have this problem. I mean, it, what I'm trying to get you to see is, Jesus is living inside of you. Jesus didn't stop at, you know, yes. He said, yes, I am willing, be cleansed. So my question is, are you doing that? In other words, you know Jesus would do it. So my question is, why isn't he getting a chance to do it through you? Because the fact is, that means we really have to shut him down and make him quiet. Because you know what he'll do. He wants to say, I am willing, be cleansed, and use my hand to stretch it out and pray for somebody. He wants to do the same with yours. So my question is, why hasn't that been happening? It isn't because he doesn't want it to happen. Why is it? Come on, talk to me. Because we're stopping him, aren't we? Now, everybody look at me. That's why, I'm sorry, I'm spinning all over the place. That's why, it's really bad, thank God I wasn't there, because girl, I would have nailed you completely. You would have been baptized in the Presbyterian church because they sprinkle. But anyway, hear this. So, <laughs> that, was, that was just sick. No, hear this. 
The problem is, that's why we go to so many different churches. People always ask, why are there so many churches in America? Because what I just said is the truth. That's perfectly good doctrine because Jesus lives inside of us. He's going to do what he did always because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he wants to do it through you if he lives in me. So if I get out of his way, he'll do the same thing. So, you know, the thing that you have to do in order to get away from the idea that maybe you need to repent and let God do his thing and stretch you beyond what you feel comfortable, what you're going to have to do is find a church that tells you he doesn't do that stuff anymore. And so we, that's what we do. We've created churches that tell us we don't have to do what it is we don't want to do. You know, you've been there. Come on now. Everybody just stand up or, or sit down or, or, or kneel or, or walk out or smoke weed or whatever. I mean, just worship him any way you want to. Do you understand where did that statement come from? You know, God is comfortable if you worship him any way you feel comfortable. Where on earth is that even in the Bible? You know it isn't in there. But of course, that's why you go to the church that says you don't need to read your Bible because that's just a bunch of legalism. In other words, that's like saying to somebody, better for you to be illiterate and we'll tell you what it says. Do you remember Christmas just happened not that long ago? Anybody remember Christmas? And do you remember when Christmas happened? How many of you saw Scrooge or Christmas Carol, whatever they call it? How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right? Do you remember when the ghost of Christmas present stands there? This is very powerful. The way Dickens wrote it is very powerful. Uh, the ghost of Christmas present is there. And at the end of his time with Scrooge, he opens up his robes and reveals two street urchins, poor kids. And they're there sitting at his feet. And he says, beware them both. And he says, one is ignorance and the other is want. Poverty and ignorance. He says, beware them both. But if you beware one over the other, which is the one you're supposed to really be concerned about? Ignorance. Because ignorance does a lot more destruction than want does. More crime, more heinousness, more horrible things happen because of ignorance than they do. In other words, if you are, look, people can be smart and intelligent, but they're ignorant if they're uneducated. That's why education is really important. You know, we want to teach people and we want to make sure they're, they're learned. Because an uneducated, a person who's illiterate, who cannot read, can be easily taken advantage of. Now listen to me. The church in America is purposely making illiterates. We're making biblical illiterates. And we like it because we want it. Because we think, man, if nobody tells me and I've never read it, I'm not responsible for it. Here's the problem. Yes, you are. You're responsible even for that which you haven't even heard. Because God holds you responsible for trying to find it out. Well, where's that? That's not biblical. Yeah, oh, yeah, it is. That's why the Bible says everything God is trying to communicate is in all the world around you, and he expects you to get it. And if you don't, the bad's on you, not on him, because he holds us all accountable. See, you understand, this is serious stuff I'm talking about. So Jesus wants to reach his hand out, and he's saying, I'm willing, and I want to touch all the people around me. I want to do it through you. Look. I have to learn, and I embrace the fact, how to be quiet in the presence of the Lord. We need to learn in this room how to lift up our voices in the presence of God and the people he wants to touch. Can I get a louder amen than that? Now listen to me. Okay, So Jesus says, I'm willing, be cleansed. So the guy's cleansed, and then Jesus is not about advertising. He's about making sure he deals with people 
And he's fulfilling a prophecy that says a broken reading will not break off, a smoldering wick he will not put out. It's not about personal advertising. It's about glorifying God. He says, don't tell anybody, but go to the temple and offer what's offered to God. So it's all about glorifying God, not the man and the individual. Amen? So he says that. But what does the guy do? The guy goes nuts and starts telling so that everybody shows up. So now huge crowds are gathering to hear about Jesus. What does he do? Woo, this is good stuff. What does he do? He disappears. This is an amazing scripture. When you look at uh, Luke 5, I think it's so cool that Luke brings it out. You'll see it in verse 16. But Jesus himself, it was his habit, would often slip away to the wilderness and do what? Pray. Now, guys, there's a connected verse right after it. But I want you to see this. In the middle of ministering to people, you still got to have a prayer life. You got to have a life of prayer. That's why we've been hammering and being filled with the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues. You need to have a prayer life. If you've got a prayer life, now God can use you. Ministry to people will drain you. Now look, I got a lot of energy. I got more energy than everybody in this room. It's actually really kind of sick. But the bottom line is, when God's anointing comes off of me, I'm going to sleep better than everybody in this place. You know what? God's anointing, okay, when I go to sleep, I totally go to sleep. When I'm up, I am totally up. There's no in-between for me. That's why everybody prays for Carol. But anyway, the thing is, okay, the thing is, right, the thing is, is God's anointing. God does not leave his anointing on you permanently because if he did, it would kill you. His anointing, that, in other words, God's empowerment so that you could do the supernatural things he's asked you to do cannot last unabated on any human being. It never, the only person who actually had that was Jesus. But you know what? Remember, they crucified him at 33. God's anointing. That's why if you've ever been used of the Lord to do anything, and I'm not talking about used of yourself, I mean used of God, where God's anointing has come on your life and he's used you, at the end of it, you're like, oh, I'm so exhausted. The reason why is because that's the after effect of the anointing having been on you. When God's anointing comes off of you, you literally, it drains you. It drains you amazingly. Hey, listen, I'm going to give you a little bit of insight. There are many men and women of God throughout history in the Christian church who ended up finishing bad. Uh, there was a great man of God used in healing named A.A. A. Allen. He flamed out because he got into alcohol. You know, there are some that got into alcohol, there's some that got into some drugs, there's some that got into other stuff, and everybody's like, look at what happened. See, the problem was nobody ever took them aside and told them they should follow the pattern of Jesus. Je if Jesus had to get away to pray from the crowds, so do we. You think that phone and that iPad and that iPod and that Galaxy and, you know, your Android system and your, you know, all the other stuff. Man, this is so cool I could stay connected. That stuff is killing you. It's killing you. It's killing you because it's making you think I need to communicate to everybody at all times. No, you don't. You need to talk to God at all times. He said pray at all times in the spirit. Come on, somebody shout amen. But you know what the thing is? Destroying Christians. You know, we're so busy doing things Facebook has taken over people's prayer times. You know, my, my, listen to me. Our, our stuff that we're doing, you know, people, are, people ask me, am I on Facebook? The answer is no. You know, I do do Twitter. You know what I mean? I tweet out things, but I'm not as like tweeting out thousands of tweets every day. I'm not doing that. 
You know, I'm on Twitter. I do some things every now and then. I mean, there are days go by I don't do anything on Twitter. But I mean, I do get out and people who follow me, you know, they like to see kind of some of the stuff that I'm doing or some of the words that I feel like God's laid on my heart. So I'll do that sometimes and I'll do that. I wanted to combine, like when MySpace was popular, I wanted to combine MySpace, Facebook, and Twitter and call it my twit face. I just thought that would work. But the, the thing is, all right, the thing is, is that, is that guys, these things are destroying people's prayer times and they're waiting on God. We have so much stuff bombarding us all the time. We can't wait out. If Jesus needed this. See, what happened is, with a lot of these people like A.L. and all the rest, they were trying to because they kept going past the pace of what they should be going and doing. Are you hearing me? They kept doing too much. So what happened was, that anointing was draining them and destroying them. Some of them ended up dying way too early. They did, because the anointing was so strong, it destroyed their bodies because they didn't know how to rest. And some of them had to medicate themselves in order to escape this draining feeling, saying, I gotta feel this thing. I have something in my possession, which um, somebody gave me, it's just a great thing, it's, an, it's, it's a conversation. Does anybody in this room know who John G. Lake was? Okay, how many of you, if you knew who he was, lift up your hand. Okay, a few people. John G. Lake, and for those who are from Washington State, they would definitely know this. John G. Lake uh, was in Washington State, but he had actually gone to Africa. Andrew Murray, who was a great man of God in South Africa, made the comment and said that John G. Lake is a man who manifests the character of Christ more than any man on the earth today, in the days in which he lived. John G. Lake had an amazing anointing. They had 100,000 documented healings through their ministry. They opened up healing rooms in Spokane, Washington area. And I mean, they opened up those rooms. They would bring people. They were the most amazing healings you ever imagined. John G. Lake died early. And you know what? I had the privilege of receiving from somebody a communication between John G. Lake and a man of God named Elder Brooks. Elder Brooks was a man of God from the Faith Homes. The Faith Homes in Zion, Illinois, which is kind of an amazing, has some amazing history. The Faith Homes in Zion, Illinois, men, of pe men and women of prayer, seeking God in prayer and all the rest. And John G. Lake was complaining about something that was kind of lacking in his ministry. And he, was, he shares some testimonies of some astonishing miracles that were going on. But said, I just feel like something's going on. And so he wrote a letter asking for prayer from Elder Brooks. What is so precious is Elder Brooks' response. Elder Brooks's response to him, I have in my possession, and Elder Brooks's response to him is a rebuke that's done in the most Christian and wonderful way. He rebukes him and says, you know, John, you have a great anointing and all the rest, but Jesus didn't call you to keep ministering to others. He called you first and foremost to be connected to him. He writes one of the most beautiful things. You Look, we're always like, God's using me right now. Let's strike while the iron's hot. That is not true. Because that kind of thing leads you into disaster in your life. Jesus manifested what it's like. In other words, Jesus wants to reach out and touch the people around you. And it's going to flow out of your continual getting away to spend time with God. Remember, if you spend time with God, he's always going to send you out to touch people. So if you're not getting that instruction from God, I'm wondering whether you're actually spending time with him. See, in other words, do you see how this is related? You cannot touch people unless you spend time with God but you can't spend time with God without actually touching people. Not that touching people is the same as spending time with God. It's just that when you're done spending time with God, he puts an anointing on you and sends you out to do his work because he's living inside of you. Am I making sense to anybody in this room? If I am, shout amen. Is this making sense? Now follow this, okay? So Jesus would slip away to pray into the wilderness. I hope I'm instructed. Anybody learning anything here? Okay, now follow this, okay? So, so Jesus, he'd slip away to pray. And so when he's done praying, 
slipping away into the wilderness to get away from everybody. When he does that to pray, look what the very next verse says. On one day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law who would come from every village in, uh, of Galilee, Judea, Samaria. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. No kidding. He's going to be alone with his, his father. He's in prayer. So the very next verse, it's not, it, I mean, it's not coincidental. If you're going to spend time away from everybody to seek God, then there's going to be power to perform healing and see signs, wonders, and miracles. Shout amen. You know, guys, if we're in the presence of God, how can you be in the presence of a living, of a resurrected dead guy and not be changed? How can that not rub off on you? I get people asking me all that. Listen, I've had new age people walk up to me. I mean, people literally walk up to me. I had one lady, my wife and I were doing something, I think it was in an airport. This lady walks up to me and she says, excuse me. I said, what? She goes, I, I just happened to walk by and I noticed your aura is really strong. I said, I know. <laughs> she said, she goes, you don't think I'm weird for saying aura? I said, no, of course not. I said, I know you see the power of God on me. She goes, power of God, are you a Christian? Yes. And you don't think I'm weird because I said aura? No. No, because it's in the Bible, you know. She's like, where is that in the Bible? I opened up my Bible and showed her how Jesus glowed on the Mount of Transfiguration. Huh? So what do you think that was? That was aura, girl. <laughs> That's what I said to her. That was aura. That's his aura. They saw, and the Bible records his aura. That aura was the presence and power of the Holy Spirit inside of him. I looked at her. I said, you know what? You know what concerns me about you? She said, what? What concerns me about you is you're operating in a low-level aura, and Jesus wants to give you the highest level. Listen, guys, she was there. We prayed with her. <laughs> Listen to me. I'm telling you, guys, we have a supernatural power that's inside us. When we spend time in the presence of the Lord, your countenance will change. I mean, you will have power from on high on you, and people will feel it. They will see it. Hallelujah. Now, listen to me, everybody in this place, okay? So Jesus had this power. And if you notice, there was a bunch of guys because they heard Jesus was around, and they had a buddy. Their buddy was lame. Not like, I mean, for the young people in this room, not like, whoa, he's lame. <laughs> no, he was lame because he couldn't walk, all right? So, so here's this guy who, who couldn't walk. That was actually pretty funny. Thanks for laughing, Pastor Brian. But anyway, so, so, um, so here's, here's this guy. He's completely lame. He's paralyzed, and he's laying out on a stretcher. So these guys are now contagious because these guys are telling him, man, we got to get you to see Jesus because if you do go to see Jesus, he's going to heal. You know they said that because they're fired up with faith. I mean, they're telling, man, if we get you to God, are you contagious? Look, look, I, I don't mean to mess with you. Yeah, I do. Um, but my goodness, if you're looking at people saying, if you come to Jesus, you can be just like me. <laughs> Not in my lifetime, thank you so much. <laughs> if you look like a bass that's going after a lure, you know, like this, If you look depressed and you're telling people you're excited about the Lord, you know, people should not have to just take your word for it. Amen? They should see it. They should feel it. Amen? Listen, guys. Your life and your enthusiasm should inspire people to want to get closer to God. You just don't know. I just have this. I had a lady look at me and she goes, I was born with this face. I said, listen, sister, we can take an offering to change that. Amen? 
My goodness, you got an attachment to your vacuum cleaner that could change that. You know what I'm saying? Just like suck it up or whatever. I mean, the bottom, that was probably really sad. But hear this, okay? All right. The bottom line is, you know what? Some of us need to inform our faces that we're saved. I had a person in our ministry many years ago, and I looked at her. She's a, she was a great young lady. I mean, she was great. But she looked like she was angry all the time. Have, have you ever been around somebody like that? They're really nice people, but when you look at their face, you always think they're angry. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Say yes if you do. Right? Well, she did. I mean, she's a nice young lady. I used to, I used to tell, I brought her into my office once. I said, listen, I said, I want to tell you something. You love Jesus. You're really great, but you need to inform your face. She says, I beg your pardon? I said, I knew this wasn't going to be pleasant, but I got to tell you this. You will become far more effective in what Jesus wants you to do if you concentrate on your facial expressions. I said, I want you to think every time I walk by you, I'm going to be saying, soften your face, soften your face, meaning concentrate on relaxing it and smiling. Some of us need to, con when you walk into a room, look, me, I walk in a room, I want to meet everybody. Sometimes you walk in a room and maybe you're really introverted and you're like, ah! you know, you need to say to yourself, God, while you're praying in tongues in your head, say, I'm going to walk in that room. I'm going to spot somebody who's completely different than me. I don't know their name. I'm going to walk up to them and I'm going to say, hi. <laughs> and then I'm going to smile and then I could run away. Okay, <laughs> all right. You need to do that. These guys were contagious because they motivated their friend. Their friend had to want to come. Right? Now, they had an advantage we don't have. He couldn't actually walk, and that's kind of an unfair advantage, right? Because they're going to take him anyway, probably. But they're like, man, dude, you got to see Jesus, right? Dude, you got to see him. We got, we got to bring you. I mean, these guys are rad. How cool is this? So they grabbed Jesus. I'm sure they grabbed their friend. They grabbed their friend on the stretcher, and they bring him to the church. Now, everybody, are you ready for something that's going to hurt? Could they get him in the church? Why not? Too crowded. Now, the church was filled with mostly people that were already believers, or supposed to be. Don't you think you ought to repent? You say, for what? Well, think about it. The very people Jesus was trying to reach, they were keeping out. I mean, can you imagine? Now, let's think about this. Here's a guy who's an absolute cripple, and these four guys are carrying a guy who can't even walk. And they won't even make room for him to get into the meeting. How many times do we not make room for people to get into the meeting? Well, listen, I've been a member of the church and I paid my tithes and bless God, that's other people's stuff. I'm just going to sit in my seat. Listen, I actually, I went to a church once. I'm not kidding you. I went to a church. I put my things down on a pew. I was going to be just walking around and praying and a lady walked up to me and she said, is this your stuff? I said, yes. She goes, move it. I'm like, I'm sorry? She says, Move it. I've been sitting here for 20 years. I don't know who you are, but I've been sitting here for 20 years. I've never seen you here. She felt in the Lord that was acceptable. Now, look, honestly, I just don't think she's going to be in heaven because you can't hate people like that. I mean, that's hating people. I mean, my goodness, you know, can I tell you a cool story? I won't if you don't want me to. It's a really cool story. I mean, I think you'll actually like it. You want, come on, encourage me if you want me to. Okay, if you insist, you're such animals. Okay, great. Here's the thing, all right? Um, my, 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 uh, uh, one of our people in our ministry, uh, her name is Mindy, uh, who's uh, in the years past was part of our ministry. We disciple her. She's great. Former Jesus person. You know, Jesus people, hippie. 
Hippie for Jesus. I mean, she's just great. You'd love Mindy and her husband, John. Anyway, Mindy uh, would tell her testimony about how she got saved. And Mindy actually traveled with us in various places. Do you know we were in Southeast Asia? And she would tell her testimony about being a hippie. And all those people in Southeast Asia knew what she was talking about. I'm like, well, you know, Mindy, you can tell them you were a hippie, but I don't know what it, if they know what it was. You, I was shocked. They were all asking her questions because they all knew about our hippie culture. You know, and a lot of the drugs she was doing came from that region. And she told them that. She goes, I did a lot of the drugs you guys grow. I mean, they all loved her after she said that. But anyway, so, 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 I mean, Mindy was just awesome. And she was telling the story. But I've heard Mindy give that testimony 30 times minimum. Okay? And when you hear people care, give their testimony, you know, you know, people, you know, various times, as many times, they'll, they'll like certain times leave in things or put in other things. And, you know, I mean, they just kind of do it as they, as the need arises, as God causes them to remember it, their testimony. So they share with people. You know, it's funny. I've heard her tell it 30 times and I've heard various little things that she's given. So I got the whole testimony, but, but she never leaves out one thing that she always mentions that I could tell was extremely profound for her. Something that happened that literally gripped her and changed her life. And she, no matter how many times I've heard her tell the testimony, she always shares this one part of her testimony. You want to know what it is? She was doing all these drugs. She was on the streets of Eugene, Oregon, for those who are from that general region of the world. Eugene is just basically uh, like Boulder, Colorado. Woohoo! Yeah. Okay. So, so anyway, so that's Eugene. Uh, and so she was doing the streets, doing drugs. She was on her way to Hawaii. There were, her friends and her were going to fly out the next day to go uh, to Hawaii and do some religious fast to get the devil out of them. And it had nothing to do with Jesus, okay? So they were going to go do, like, uh, all sorts of weird drugs to get the devil out of them. So they were just kind of doing that because they were partying. So then anyway, they were partying that one day, and then they went, slept through the afternoon, and that night, night they hit the streets again. They were going to leave the next day for Hawaii. They were on the streets, and they had seen some guys in the morning of that day out witnessing. And they were Jesus people, out witnessing. And then that evening when they went back out at 11 o'clock at night, midnight, those guys were still out there witnessing. They were out there. So the three guys went walking up to them. And the two guys started having this, like, you know, roundabout, like, kind of debate thing for Jesus with the, her friends. The other guy was just standing there not saying anything. And then he looks at Mindy and he goes, hey, um, you want to get saved? And Mindy looked at him and said, yes. Because she was so ready because God was working on her when he said that. Now, the guy who led her to Christ and said that to her had only been saved two days. He had gotten saved two days previously. He didn't even know what to tell her. He just says, you want to get saved? Because he was happy. And she wanted to get saved. How cool is that? Come on, somebody shout amen. But this is, it's going to get to the part of the testimony I want you to hear. So she... She then went to their commune because they were living in a community. And so she went to the commune. She said, I walked in. She goes, I felt like I walked into the brightest place I'd ever seen in my life. And she goes, I was still, you know, I was wearing the dress that I'd been, you know, doing all my drugs in, smoking marijuana and, you know, the dresses they used to wear back then. She goes, so I slept that night, didn't even take a bath or a shower, got up the next morning, and we, they said, we're going to church together. So they all went to church. It was an old-time Pentecostal church. Now, when I say old-time Pentecostal church, there were some old-time Pentecostal ladies in that church. So they were, the, the young people in their jeans, no shoes, and on bare feet, and everywhere, all these Jesus people and all the rest, they were sitting on the floor, they were sitting down the aisles, they were sitting all the rest, but they took Mindy, and uh, they jammed Mindy on the last pew in the back. 
And they sat her next, or they, because they, it was in the middle of like singing a hymn. They brought her in, and there was an old woman standing, and I'm saying old time Pentecostal. For those of us who know what that means, that means her hair was like in a bun, okay? And this lady was, Mindy said she was 80 years old. So she was an 80 year old, old time granny for Jesus, okay? So she's old time Pentecostal, sitting in the back. And Mindy came in and she said, these are the kind of people that always be yelling and screaming at them when they were doing their drugs and all the rest that she was unsafe. So she's like, oh, this is not gonna be good because her dress reeked of marijuana. And so she, they, they stand her next to her, so they're singing like the old rugged cross or something. And Mindy's like, she doesn't know the song. And so she's standing there and just looking you know, forward and they're singing the song. And then the pastor came up, he goes, isn't it wonderful what the cross has done for us? And look at all the wonderful young people that Jesus has brought to us this morning. Turn around and greet somebody next to you. And Mindy was ready to be rebuked. And this old time Pentecostal lady whose hair was in a hairnet and a bun, turns around, looks at Mindy, and broke into the biggest, sorry, I get emotional about this, broke into the biggest smile, and a tear came down her eye, and she opened up her, her arms wide. She goes, I am so grateful Jesus brought you to us today. Oh, God bless you. I hope you always sit next to me and gave her the biggest hug. I've never heard Mindy tell her testimony where she doesn't bring that up. And you know what? It did something to me. Because I tell you what, I heard that and I'm like, you know what? People want to know that somebody loves them no matter what they look like, no matter what they smell, no matter who they are. They just want to know. Listen, people know you may not agree with them, but they want to know that you care for them. You know what I mean? They want to know. Listen, you could tell somebody, man, you're dying and going to hell and what you're doing is wrong, but tell you, I love you. I'm telling you this because I love you. I was talking to my son today this afternoon saying, Luke, you just keep it up some. Just always tell people. You know, when they say, well, you're not loving because you don't think we can do drugs. I mean, they always know that. See, you're just another unloving Christian. Luke's response was, listen, parents always seem unloving to their children when they, <laughs> where do you think you got that from? Come on, come on, give it credit, come on. So from that, but parents always seem like they're unloving to their kids when they're telling their kids they can't do something they want to do. But later on, their kids thank them. Am I right? The bottom line is, that's what we're telling in a society, and that's what we're doing in a society. Why am I saying this? Because listen, guys, they were crowding out the people who were supposed to be coming to the church. We're doing that. We're doing that when we don't witness to them. We're doing that when we don't tell them about Jesus. We're doing that when we don't show a smile to them and, and engage them in a conversation saying, look, I don't know why you do this, but you know, this is not right. You know, Jesus loves you. You're so much better than this. He has so much better for you. You know, we could say this to people. I'm, to strangers, yeah. To strangers, to people we know, to everybody. You know, our job is to do this. And you say, well, I don't, I don't ever feel led to do that. Well, you're crowding them out, aren't you? You're keeping them out of the house of God. Every time you don't open your mouth, you're keeping them out. These people wouldn't even let this guy come in. How many times does somebody come in to sit down and we don't give them the look and the joy and the happiness that they deserve? That's exactly right. Come on, sister, that's right. They don't come back. And you know what? That's your bad, not God's. Oh, pastor, you should have been there to greet them. Huh? What? You know, you don't have to have somebody. You know, how bad is it that the church has to have designated greeters? How bad is that? A church shouldn't have to have designated greeters. Everybody in the church should be greeting everybody. You know what? The biggest and hardest thing pastors should have to do in church is get their people to get back in their pews because they keep introducing themselves to others. You know, where they have to say, look, is it going to take me another 10 minutes to get you guys quiet? You need to sit down. we got to get in the Word. 
You know, stop loving on each other. I mean, don't you think that's about where we should be right now? Am I going to do to anybody in this room? They wouldn't even let this guy in the room to get to Jesus. We need to repent. You know what, guys? There are times, and tonight we're going to have a simple prayer and conclusion. We've spent so much time together, and I've thrown a lot at you. But, but you know, we need to pray and ask God's forgiveness, not just for ourselves, but for all the people we know. You'll see in the Bible, in the Word of God, that there are times when, when people pray for themselves and for their nation. Nehemiah comes to mind right away. Nehemiah prayed, oh, Lord, forgive us. He includes himself in that prayer, and he says, forgive us because we've been bad. Ezra says those prayers, too. I mean, you see prayers. God, you know, Moses said, blot me out, but, you know, for the, my, the, the whole nation's sins. You know, God, please, you know, we need to identify with all these things and say, God, would you forgive us because we haven't been the loving people we should be. Lord God, people should feel so welcome. People should want to come because, like, listen, I'm not sure I agree with everything they say, but I really love being there because these people are really positive. They're telling me I'm going to hell, but they still love me. I remember hearing a bishop from L.A., from a, a church of God in Christ. I, I'll never forget. He was talking about how they had, they had a pastor that he, because of the, uh, they appoint pastors and send them to places. And he was sharing this story at a, at a minister's meeting I happened to be at. And he was sharing this story. He says, yeah, he goes, um, I had a church calling me and saying, pastor, you got to get rid of our pastor. Bishop, you are, you know, whatever, bishop, I guess. Bishop, you got to get rid of our pastor. We can't stand him. And he finally sat down with the church leadership and said, why can't you stand him? Well, he's always telling us we're going to hell. He goes, well, you know, I mean, that's why Jesus came to keep us from hell. And he goes, yeah, no, but he's always telling us we're going to hell and we don't like him. So he's like, you know, eventually he got, he's tired of all the letters and all the rest. So they moved that guy somewhere else and they put in another young pastor. He didn't hear a peep from the church for six months. So six months later, they went to one of their big conventions and he saw a delegation from that church at their convention. And I'll never forget he told this story. He said, the, he, he walks up to the delegation smiling because they're all so happy. And he says, so I see you like the new pastor we sent you. He's a young guy. Oh, we love our pastor. And they, he said, well, he must not be telling you you're going to hell. Oh, no. He tells us we're going to hell every Sunday. He goes, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. I thought the other guy was telling you you were going to hell too. Yes. But you hated him. And this guy's saying the same stuff and you love him. Yes. Why? Well, our previous pastor, when he told us we were going to hell, it seemed like he enjoyed the idea. <laughs> but our pastor we have now, he tells us we're going to hell, but he, he does it and he cries when he begs us to get right with God. Don't you ever forget that. Don't you ever forget it. You know what, guys? We don't smile at people, nor do we have a hard face when we look at people. We look at them and say, God, if I can't, See, if I can't have tears in my face, let them hear the tears in my voice when I beg them, God, to be right with you. When a church begins to love like that, we're not crowding the people out. We're not crowding them out and leaving them out. These guys didn't want this guy who Jesus was trying to reach. So what do these guys do? Listen, people tell me I'm radical. I have never reached the level of radical these guys, this guy's friends did in the Word. Right? What did they do with the guy? Talk to me. I read you the story. You read it with me. What did they do? Go ahead. That's right, right? Isn't that what he did? Which means, and actually, if you read this story in the Greek language and the other Gospels in which it's recorded, they actually did digging and did some other stuff in order to break through the roof to get there. Right? Guys, who goes to a church service bringing tools with them in case they can't get in? 
oh, come on, this is radical. I mean, that, can you imagine a pastor, whichever church you go to, you know, in the middle of church, it'd be like all of a sudden you see stuff beginning to fall down in the pulpit area here, and you're like, the pastor's preaching, and all of a sudden you're like, you start looking up and going, the tiles are shedding or something. Wait, wait, wait. wait a minute, man, there's a hole up there. They got a guy, and they're letting a guy down on bungee cords. I can't believe this. Guys, that's radical. I mean, my goodness, we get accused for being weird because we pray in tongues. You have never seen anybody lower through the roof to get to church, have you? My goodness, great. these guys are rad. These guys showed up. Can you imagine the phone call? Hey, Fred's going to come. We're going to carry him on the stretcher. Hey, George, you make sure you bring rope. I'm going to bring some tools. Come on, let's go. I mean, can you imagine they're bringing tools just in case they can't get? They were prepared. Which shows you how bad the people must have been. They're like, hey, you know, that church, sometimes you can't get in, so we're going to get him in there. And they didn't lower him in an inconspicuous spot. They lowered him in the middle of everybody. Don't you ever, ever complain about church getting a little out of control ever again, okay? Amen? Because they're not lowering people in from the ceiling. They lowered him in the middle of everybody. And it doesn't say Jesus stopped the meaning. What are you doing? You're interrupting my message. Does it say that? It doesn't say that he got mad at them, does it? I mean, they lower him and he just kept preaching. I'm like, is this regular? Does this, does this always happen? I mean, they're lowering him in. Can you imagine the people are all like this? And by the way, I'm just going to say this because I'm just, you know, I like thinking through texts, you know. What if you were the guy who was actually lame? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, when you're being lowered down, interrupting a meeting, <laughs> right? You can't move. Your buddies are doing, you're like, what, what are you doing? What do you mean we're going on the roof? Put me down. No. <laughs> Put me down. Can you imagine? All of a sudden, they start lowering him in as he's coming down, and everybody's looking at Jesus as he's sharing. Do you think he went? <laughs> and then he's like embarrassed, like, uh-huh. <laughs> Um, and lower him down. And what did Jesus say to him? What is the very first thing Jesus said? Your sins are forgiven after seeing whose faith? Theirs. Plural. Plural. Their faith. His buddy's faith. This guy is being lowered down probably in utter shame. He's lying there crippled. In the days in which he lived, if you had a, a physical abnormality or a physical disease or a problem you are considered cursed of God and obviously a sinner he feels like an outcast already oh, you know so many of us in this room we know the joy of being forgiven don't we do you know the joy of being forgiven and we heard it by the voice of the spirit this guy heard it from Jesus himself He heard his physical voice. Your sins are forgiven. You know what? I think about this. This means something to me. I think about this. I think about how amazing it was to hear this. And why did Jesus say that first? He didn't say you're healed. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. He said that, those precious words. You know the guy was probably beating himself up. You know, he had probably been hearing it for as long as he'd been a cripple. The reason, obviously, you're a cripple is because you've sinned bad. So you know he has to be self-conscious. You know he has to feel horrible. You know he has to feel absolutely beaten up. 
And how cool is Jesus that Jesus looks at him and Jesus says, hey, you're forgiven. What a joy and load off of his heart, his mind, and his shoulders that must have been. I just, Jesus is awesome. He is awesome. Man, your sins are forgiven. Don't worry about it. It's taken care of. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus know that the Pharisees would not like what he was going to say? I have a word here I want to make sure you all get before we conclude our time together and how bittersweet will be our parting. But I want you all to listen very carefully. Jesus knew that the Pharisees would not like what he said. Yes? Shout out your answer loud. Yes. Okay? He knew they were upset and did not like what it was that he was saying. He knew what they were thinking. He knew exactly what they were thinking. But he said it anyway. Be free, my brothers and my sisters. Be free. I'm saying this because I want to make sure everybody gets this. Jesus offended people. I don't know who told you this, but somebody did. And it has stopped the mouths of too many believers. The gospel of love and forgiveness and repentance, the gospel of power and deliverance is an offense to many people. It is offensive. Now, you can be offensive by doing things the wrong way. After all, if you take a knife and put it in the hands of a mugger and put it in the hands of a surgeon, you get two different results. Both of them cut, but one brings healing and the other brings nothing but disaster. So sometimes people are muggers when they should be surgeons. And we're learning. Okay, we're learning. But I want you to hear this. Jesus offended them when he knew ahead of time they would be offended. The problem is not what we're telling people. The problem is the way they respond to it. You are not to shut your mouth because you know people's response is going to be negative. Be free. Listen, there are times, look, there's going to come a time in your life you're going to walk into a room and say to people, hey, good morning, everybody, and somebody's going to look at you and say, stop judging me, man. I said good morning. Stop judging me. I said good morning. And they're going to get mad at you because you have joy, because you have happiness, because there's something inside of you that they, they just can convict them because Jesus is in your voice. That is going to happen. If it hasn't happened, it's going to. All right? You are not responsible to placate them and make some apology for the body of Christ. I will apologize for the hypocrites in the church the minute the world apologizes for all the sin and destruction they've wrought in all of humanity, starting from the first day of creation. They, listen, have you ever noticed in the Bible God does not apologize? God does not apologize. We are saying things the Bible never says God ever said to anybody. Poor Job, he was going through the attack of the devil. Did God say, I am so sorry about that, Job? He never did. What did he do when he showed up? He says, who do you think you are for complaining? Read Job. That's why people are like Job, because you don't want to think that a loving father, who he is, is going to look at you and say, you don't have a right to get an explanation for things because your mind isn't big enough to conceive what the explanation would be anyway. Listen, guys, I'm going to tell you something. People are going to get offended. Jesus went out of his way, said what needed to be said, did it even though he knew they were going to be offended. He said it anyway. Because the problem of having an offense has to do with your response. 
You know what? The time has come in the house of God that you're stopped being so easily offended by everything. We're living in a politically correct culture that is completely messed up. The church is not supposed to mirror the culture. We are supposed to be forgiving. We're supposed to hear what people say and consider it in a better light than what we thought they meant it. I'm supposed to hear what people say and believe the best my Bible says. That's up to you. That's not up to, pastor, you need to say it right. That sister or that brother said this or this or this. You know what? The problem is the way you're hearing. Even if they meant it bad, if in your heart you say, oh, I know they meant the best by this, you won't be offended. We need to get, get rid of the spirit of offense in the church. I said we need to get rid of the spirit of the offense in the church. You know, the bottom line is, guys, Jesus said it. They were offended. Is Jesus going to apologize? No, because what he said was the truth. Because he spoke truth. Your sins are forgiven. You have to. Who, who does he think he is? He's Jesus. Who's he thinking? You don't say that. that. That offends me. But you know what? Today in American culture, we feel like Jesus is going to go around saying, oh, I'm so sorry. I should have said it in a way. How could I say it that it doesn't offend you and I'll change it? He doesn't do it like that. God says what he says and he means what he says. You know what? The minute, you know what, guys? I'm sorry I'm harboring on this, but we got to deal with our hearts. Almighty God, help me. Help me, God, not to be so easily offended by everything that goes on because I've adopted the values of the culture around me. When God, in the name of Jesus, I, uh, I need to be like you were, Jesus. I need to just bless people, no matter how nasty, no matter how vile, no matter how whatever they are, I'm going to bless rather than curse. I'm going to lift up rather than put down. I'm going to, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, a dead person cannot be offended by anything. Amen? I could look at it and say, oh, that's wrong. But I don't have to let that determine how I'm going to live my day. Look, I'm not saying you don't say, well, that was kind of wrong. I mean, you can say that, but I'm not going to be offended by it. I'm not going to let somebody else's ignorance determine my attitude. Is this getting through to anybody? So Jesus said it, they got mad. So what does Jesus do? This is the greatest comeback in history, right? He says, okay, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to get up from the, to get up because you're a cripple. They're all like, you can't do that. He's like, I'm going to show you I can forgive sins. Get up! The guy comes bounding up and what do they have to say about it? Oh, dude, that just blew my mind, man. I mean, uh, whoa, we've seen astonishing things today. <laughs> I wish I hadn't brought up my argument. <laughs> you know, what a way to shut up your critics. Of course, they still got mad and they got out there and tried to kill him. But the bottom line is, they were so, I mean, they had nothing to say in the midst of it all. He says, what's easier to say? You know what? You know what the real convicting thing is about this as we conclude our time together? What is easier for you to say? To say to somebody, man, you need to get saved because Jesus has forgiven your sins. Or to lay your hands on them and see them get healed. If it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, then why aren't you doing that? Aren't I nasty? I'm sneaky, aren't I? Come on, everybody stand up. Come on, would you stand up? Can, can we all just join together up here? Come on up and join me up here, would you? Come on, come on up here. We're going to conclude our time together. We're just going to pray briefly, and I'm going to dismiss you. You've been so awesome. You've been so incredible. I can't, you know what? To me, it seems like the last few days have gone by super fast. Have they gone by fast for you? They go by fast for me. I mean, this is like fast. Come on, let's. What is this? <laughs> come on up here. Come on. Come on. Close. I mean, I can't believe it. Come on. Come on. Come closer. 
Come on closer. You know, girl, I just love you. God's going to do something great for you. Amen. Come on. Come on up here. You know, I just think of my one sister. I mean, look at her. She's a holy roller. She's got that thing, but she's always up at the altar. I mean, you know what? That's an inspiration. Amen. I mean, that's an unfair advantage, girl. I'm telling you, that is just unfair. That is just way too cool. Amen. I'm just going to get one of those just because I want to. But anyway, so, so look, look, we're up here near each other. You know what? I don't, I, look, there's a lot of cultures here. I, I think it's just a lot different than Greeks. You know, we Greeks don't have much personal space. My personal space is about a half an inch. I mean, I come here, I think some of your personal space is like a half mile. <laughs> you know? I mean, get used to being near people. How are you going to reach people if you're not near them? The God you love is not a distant God. He's a God that's up close. He's a God that lives inside of you. Do you want Jesus just staying up in heaven? Or do you want him near you? L listen to me. You have no right to ever say God is distant and he's not talking if you don't talk to others. You have no right to say it. It's just wrong. You cannot say if you don't have a prayer time, God has not come through for me. Well, how much time have you spent with him? All the times God would have come through. Look at me, look at me. You have no right. Tell you what, tell you what. Why don't we just agree to this? Um, you don't ask Jesus, if you don't want to do anything more for Jesus, then just make sure you don't ask him to do anything more for you. Can we make an agreement on that? So listen, if you, want to, if, you don't, if you feel overworked and you like too much demand to do things for the Lord, why don't we just look? Why don't you just be honest? Why don't we just make an agreement with the Lord that if we don't want to do another thing for him or be used of him and do what we're supposed to as believers, that we're just not going to bother asking him for anything else either. Anybody going to get an agreement with me on that? Oh, we want him to do stuff for us, and we still don't want to do anything for him. See, don't you see the, the deal we're kind of making with God here? Don't you see what the problem is? We're saying, God, you do all the work. See, every one of us in our hearts, we have a, a throne and we have a cross. And if Jesus is not on the throne, that means we put him back on the cross. That means we're on the throne. And see, we want Jesus to do all the dying so we can do all the living. But see, he left a cross for you. And he said, you pick up your cross and follow me. So you have to be on the cross so he can sit on the throne. But if he's not on the cross, that means that, I mean, if he's not on the throne, that means you are and that he's back on the cross. We have to die so that he can live. And again, I just want to say this. I think God wants you to make, make sure that you understand. If you don't want to do anything for him, just make sure you understand he doesn't have to do anything for you. But I'm not going to then go to his church and then he's going to be sad. No, no. He loves you. He's going to be sad that you're so foolish. But he's not, that doesn't, it's not, you're not going to twist his arm. It's kind of like the people who come to God's house and say that they're Christians and say, well, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. You know, that's, that's not praying. That's issuing ultimatums. If I said to my Greek father before he died, if I looked at my dad and I told my dad that I wasn't going to obey anything that he said to me unless he first did a few things for me, I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> my father would have had a thriving prison ministry <laughs> in my name. <laughs> Woo, <laughs> right? I mean, do you understand how foolish we've become? But people believe that. 
They're like, I mean, I know I talk to people all the time. And I mean, I witnessed to them this. You know, I mean, I remember the young lady who looked at my wife when my wife said, hey, Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the dead. She goes, listen, I believe Jesus is Lord and Savior, and that means I can do whatever I want. She goes, no, that means you can do whatever he wants. You're free to do whatever he wants. She goes, no, I'm free to do whatever I want, and he's just got to take me or else I just won't pay any attention to him. I mean, that's literally the attitude she had. Now, listen to me. You're not going to get anywhere with that attitude. So don't you think we should ask God to forgive us and say, God, please, in the name of Jesus, Lord, please, Father, I ask you to have mercy on me and those around us. Forgive us for keeping people out of your house. Almighty God, please have mercy on us. Lord God, forgive me that I've kept the very people you're trying to reach out of the house. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, please have mercy on me. And Lord God, change my attitudes. Father, forgive me for having such an attitude of, of offense, oh God. Deliver me from that. Is that a good prayer is to pray at God's altar? What we're going to do, though, is we're not going to ask just forgiveness for ourselves. We're going to ask for our brothers and our sisters, too. While we're here tonight, let's pray and ask God that he'll stretch out his hand and forgive all of us here. Everybody represented in our churches that are represented at this altar. Amen? So can you close your eyes and begin to lift up your voice? And I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a second. But can you lift up your voice right now and begin to ask God for the various things we talked about tonight in the name of Jesus? Amen.